Hello, you're listening to a Zen Studies Society podcast. To learn more about our community of Zen Buddhist practitioners, please visit zenstudies.org. Muman Khan, Case 30. Basso's This Very Mind is Buddha. Daibai asked Basso, What is the Buddha? Basso answered, This very mind is the Buddha. Muman's comment. If you directly grasp Basso's meaning, you wear the Buddha's clothes, eat the Buddha's food, speak the Buddha's words, do the Buddha's deeds. That is, you are the Buddha himself. However, alas, Daibai misled not a few people into taking the mark on the balance for the weight itself. How could he realize that even mentioning the word Buddha should make us rinse out our mouths for three days? If a man of understanding hears anyone say, this very mind is the Buddha, he will cover his ears and rush away. Muman's verse. The blue sky and bright day. No more searching around. What is the Buddha, you ask? With loot in your pocket, you declare yourself innocent. Feel free to turn this way if you like. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Good, sunny, warm afternoon. After lunch, I went out for a brief walk to visit Sangha Meadow, and it felt so good to walk out and have the sun just warm on my face. Feel like all of the knots in my muscles and the bones just melt away when the sun is shining in my face. So, so wonderful, so wonderful. Very appropriate for Muman's verse the blue sky and bright day. Perfect. So, last time I began with chanting moo to put us in the mood. And this time I'm going to vary a little bit. Rather than chanting moo, let's chant ho. And to do this, very simple, just like the moo chant, it's just one syllable, ho. And you do it in whatever way seems most appropriate for you, at the volume that feels most appropriate to you at the rhythm that feels most appropriate to you. So when I clap my hands, we start, and when I clap my hands again, we stop, okay?
So if you want to talk about the interplay of emptiness and form, there's maybe no better way of introducing this subject than by chanting, chanting anything really, but chanting Ho in particular. And of course, it also is true of music. All of that sound and where did it go? And where did it come from? It came, of course, from each individual. But where did we come from? If you listen closely to the music of the chanting, you can hear the different voices, some high, some low, some strong, some soft, some loud, some hoarse, some feeble, all individual. And in each voice you can if you listen really closely and inhabit that voice, you can imagine an entire history of conditions, age and health, ego, desire to harmonize so much in just one voice and so much more when they come together in this way. This chanting Ho is done in Japan during Takahatsu the alms receiving rounds that the monks make in the villages. I think they still do it. But, um, I know that they did it traditionally. And when they do it, they wear rather large straw hats that mostly cover their faces so they're somewhat anonymous. People hear them chanting going from place to place. And there's an interplay between the monk and the listeners. And the interplay reveals a great deal about the people who have heard and answer the chant. There's a passage in the beginning of the Diamond Sutra, kind of the introduction to the Diamond Sutra, in which it's mentioned that the Buddha went out begging in order to give people the opportunity to practice the virtue of patient, of charity, the paramita, charity. And there's a lot in the Diamond Sutra about charity and how it should be without reference to 
characteristics. And so following in that tradition, the Japanese monks go out and give people the opportunity to practice the paramita of charity. And sometimes they're met with people who are moved by seeing them, who are fervent in their support and give them alms. Sometimes people are not so supportive. Sometimes people are downright rude. And that also is part of the virtue of receiving charity. The interplay, the relationship that is formed is an example of emptiness. The interdependence of two seeming individuals forming a bond of some sort, whether a bond of mutual support or a bond of vilification and humility, but a bond is formed. And then the two separate and go away and the conditions for that bond no longer hold. But the bond continues to have an effect on both parties. The word ho that is chanted means dharma. Dharma is one of those words that is not really easy to define. We talk a lot about dharma but it has at least two meanings. One being the teachings, the Buddhist teachings, the canon, Buddhist canon, all of the teachings. The most fundamental teachings of the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path, the various sutras, as well as the monastic rules. These are all dharma. But the other meaning is phenomenon, occurrences, events. Each thing is in itself a dharma. So this lectern is a dharma. The Buddha statue is a dharma. We here, sitting here together, that's a dharma. So it is both the container and the contained, the container being the teachings, which in all of their vastness encompass all of creation and the mode of creation and the mode of existence and non-existence. And those teachings contain the phenomena, the individual dharmas. And the individual dharmas are manifestations of the conditions that apply. So each one of us is a manifestation of the conditions that created us both created us in the sense of giving birth to us, but also our upbringing, the society that we live in, our genes, what we ate for lunch, if we ate for lunch, are we living in a time of peace or a time of war? Are we subject to noxious propaganda? All these conditions 
create a temporary state of being, changing moment to moment, as we're changing moment to moment. And because we are creatures with something called memory and a personal history, we think of ourselves as persistent, not just from moment to moment, but year to year, despite the fact that our memory is notoriously inventive and selective. Despite the fact that we change not just week to week and year to year, but moment to moment. And so each moment, there's a new dharma, a new phenomenon, a new configuration of jishin or kogen. Of Saryu Roshi, of Chigan Roshi, of each of us. Constantly a new configuration, not the same from moment to moment, day to day, year to year. And sometimes we encounter someone that we have known for a very, very long time and we see the changes particularly if we haven't seen them in a very long time. And suddenly we say, my God, it's like a completely different person. Well, yeah, and you too. (laughs) But we don't think of ourselves as a completely different person because we've been there for all of the changes and we've stored them all in our memory. And so we delude ourselves into thinking there is a degree of persistence which is not real. So all of that is in the meaning of the word ho that we chanted. So today I'm continuing in the uh, series of Zen Buddhism by the numbers and having done the number zero in the first Taisho that I gave during session, I'm going to do number one right now and I'll just read what is included. And this is not by any means an exhaustive list of references to oneness or one in Zen Buddhism. Uh, Just as zero for emptiness and mu and shunyata is a very, very important number for Zen Buddhism, one is also an extremely important number in Zen Buddhism. In reality, the Zen part of Zen Buddhism is almost entirely contained in the numbers zero and one. Most of the other numbers are the Buddhism part of Zen Buddhism. But if you really want to understand the fundamental nature of reality, it comes down to zero and one comes down to emptiness and form and the interplay of emptiness and form.
So number one, suchness, tathata, which is just a foreign way of saying suchness. Not two, so zanganchi zenji. Bazo's ordinary mind is Buddha. Obaku's one mind. And all of these are ways of saying the same thing, which is things are as they are. And a Buddha is one who is awake to things as they are. And that's really all a Buddha is. Bodhidharma said many things about mind is Buddha. But one of the things he said is awareness is Buddha. Awareness is Buddha. In this case, Bazo is asked by a monk, Daibai, what's the Buddha? And Bazo says, this very mind is the Buddha. So to talk a little bit about who Bazo Do Itsuzenji is, since he is one of the most important figures in Zen. He, the, none of the lineages are named after Bazo, but he is featured in pretty much every Zen lineage because he had so many successors. According to one count, he had 139 Dharma heirs. They include Nansen, who was featured in the previous Teisho, and Yakujo, who is in our lineage, the Dharma father of Obaku Kiyun Zenji and the Dharma grandfather of Rinzai Gigen Zenji. So Rinzai Zen could just as easily be called Baso Zen, but because Baso is involved in so many lineages and Rinzai kind of was the branch point and the dynamic figure of this lineage. It's called Rinzai Zen. But Baso was a very similar sort of master. He was one of the first, if not the first, of the Zen masters about whom the term Chan school, which is the Chinese version of Zen school, was referred to in texts, the Chan school. Before that, it was just another, another branch of Buddhism, but didn't have its own particular name. He was also the first or one of the first to really have that teaching style that we associate with Rinzai Zen in particular, that style of dynamic action, shouting, hitting, pushing, physically challenging, verbally challenging, all in the service of trying to shake people awake, trying to shake them out of customary automatic modes of thinking and being, trying to shut down the default mode network of their mind, that mode that is constantly working in our conscious and subconscious, telling the personal history, 
telling us about what we did last week or this morning, what we're planning to do tomorrow, bringing us out of now. All of our plans, all of our hang-ups, all of our mental habits that distance us from this present moment. Basso was a student of Nanjaku Ejo. Nanjaku Ejo is the seventh Chinese ancestor in the Zen lineage, and he was the successor of Eno, who is a towering figure also. One day, Basso was sitting outside doing zazen. Maybe it was a day like today. Beautiful. Why not sit outside? So he was sitting outside doing zazen. Very serious Zen student. Always sitting. Always sitting. Nanjaku sat down across from him. Basso barely looked up, continues, perfect Zazen posture. Nanjaku looks at him and he picks up a tile that's on the ground and he starts rubbing it. (laughs) Basso says, what are you doing? Nanjaku says, I'm polishing this tile so it'll become a mirror. Basso says, you can't make a tile into a mirror by rubbing it. Nanjaku says, well, how are you going to become a Buddha by doing Zazen? (laughs) And something clicked for Basso at that moment. Basso also is featured in a number of koans in the Mumankan and the Hekiganroku. One of the koans in the Hekiganroku is Basso's sun-faced Buddha, moon-faced Buddha. And the story goes that Basso was gravely ill on the verge of death. And one of his disciples came in and asked him, how's it going? How are you feeling? And Basso picked up his head and said, sun-faced Buddha, moon-faced Buddha. One of the beautiful poetic expressions, sun-faced Buddha, moon-faced Buddha. I'll leave you to think about what that means. So Basso asked, what is, when he was asked, what is the Buddha, said, this very mind is the Buddha. He didn't say the mind of Zazen is the Buddha. Or the mind when you're concentrated and focused is the Buddha. He said, this very mind is the Buddha. This very mind is the Buddha. 
So that raises the question of, well, what is the mind? Where's the mind? How do you find the mind? What is this thing called mind? Bodhidharma when he was beginning his teaching career in China. He had, according to legend, sat in a cave for nine years, not teaching. And then started to attract disciples. And one of those disciples was Eka. Eka was desperate. He was a scholar who had studied extensively the sutras and the Vinaya. He had practiced for years, but still had no peace of mind. He had reached that point of desperation. How do I find peace? How do I find peace? How do I find peace? So he went to Bodhidharma, and Bodhidharma refused to admit him into the temple. Had him stand outside the gate as the snow was falling, snow up to his knees. Let me in, let me in, let me in. I have to study, I have to study, I have to study. Now. Now. How can a person of so little virtue ever attain the way? I have to be in. I have to do this. I have to do this. No. And again, according to legend, Eka produced a knife and cut off his left arm and presented it to Bodhidharma. And Bodhidharma said, well, I guess you're serious. <laughs> okay. You can come in. So Bodhidharma is interviewing Eka in Doksan. And Eka says, My mind has no peace. I beg of you, pacify my mind. Bodhidharma said, Well, Bring me your mind. Bring me your mind? I've looked for my mind everywhere, and I can't find it. Bloody Dharma said, There, I've pacified it for you. So where is your mind? And how can it be that discovering that you can't find it can pacify it. Back in the 1980s, after I left the monastery and went back to college and then to medical school, when I was a third year medical student doing surgical rounds. They have their own form of koans. The, the first koan in the surgical roku is, have you passed gas yet? This is, this is the question that is asked to patients the day after surgery. Have you passed gas yet? That's a very serious koan. It's really life and death. 
I mean, we talk about our koans as being life and death. This is really life and death. Have you passed gas yet? And if you fail that koan for two or three days, rather than hit you with a keisaku or yell at you, they'll take a tube and shove it up your nose and down your throat and into your stomach. And then you pass the koan. And the reason that they do that is that although we think that it's our brain or our mind that's running the show, it's not. It really isn't. If your gut's not working, your mind doesn't matter. Because the mind is attached to the gut. And to a very large degree, the gut rules. And if you think that I'm wrong, try going five or six days without passing gas you won't be able to think of a thing. Not a single thing. You won't be able to make sense of anything. You'll be on another planet, unless somebody comes along and shoves a tube up your nose and down into your stomach. And it's even worse if you can't pee. Try not peeing for a week. Where is your mind then? Where is your mind? Of course, one of the most important koans that we have to pass in, during session is are there really shards of glass in my knee? Or am I just imagining that? And what do I do about it? What do I do about it? Or this sleepiness, what do I do about it? This pain, what do I do about it? This boredom, what do I do about it? This confusion, what do I do about it? And where is your mind then? Chances are your mind is in your knee or in your hip or whatever it is that is absolutely torturing you. Where is your mind? And what do you do about it? How do you pacify your mind? One of the first exercises that's taught in um, the Theravadan tradition for mindfulness is the body scan which is um, essentially a attempt to connect the mind and the body in a very direct and penetrating fashion. And in theory, it's an extremely easy exercise. You simply look with your mind's eye at all of your body in a very systematic fashion. Typically, you start with the, uh, traditionally, you start with the big toe of your left foot and you inquire into the condition of the big toe of your left foot. You don't wiggle it to create sensation. You simply try to feel whatever is there 
with as much sensitivity and honesty as you can. And if you don't feel anything, you say, okay, I don't feel anything. And you move on to the next toe, and the next toe, and the next toe, and the next toe. And then the sole of the foot, the heel, the top of the foot, the inside of the foot, the bones, the muscles, the tendons. And you do this inquiry, inch by inch. And while you're doing that, you find uh, the mind is wandering, just like Sazen. It's just another form of Sazen. Typically, they do it lying down in the uh, corpse pose. But you can equally well do it sitting in Zazen posture or kneeling or sitting in a chair. And you can do it for as long as you can stay engaged. And just like with Zazen, you try to stay engaged. And often you fail. And then you try again. And then you fail again. And then you try again. And then you fail again. Just like Sazen. You can do it for 20 minutes, 40 minutes, an hour. You can do it all day long. And once you've gotten through your entire foot and leg and the hip and the pelvis and the other leg and the abdomen and the spine and the chest and the lungs and the heart and the clavicles and shoulders and arms and hands and neck and face and skull and brain and eyes and the whole bit. You do it again. It's really more or less the same as Zazen only. Instead of following your breath, you're doing a different kind of inquiry. Try it sometime during a Zazen period. It's a very focusing exercise, practice. And you can ask yourself, where is my mind now? Is it in that big toe of the left foot? Or is it in the future? Or is it in the past? It's another object of attention. And by focusing on an object of attention, whether it's a toe, a knee, a hip, or your breath, or moo. You build awareness. And as Bodhidharma said, awareness is the Buddha. This very mind is awareness. The word mindfulness has become somewhat um, I'm not sure just what the word is. Um, 
a bit too much, <laughs> a bit too used, overused, cliched. But mindfulness is a very ancient Buddhist practice of the Theravadan tradition. And it essentially is simply paying attention on purpose to the present moment without making judgments about it. Just being very honest. Being here now. Being here now is this very mind. It's what Paso is talking about. This very mind is the Buddha. What's going on right now? Right now. When you're falling asleep, what's going on? I'm falling asleep. It's very simple, very honest. I'm falling asleep. What is this? Oh, now there's pain. Okay. Breathe. Breathe into the pain and be with it. What is this? What is this? Moment by moment. Moment by moment. What is this? Learning to relax with reality when reality is not necessarily fun, entertaining, exciting, pleasant. Learning to be here, even when reality isn't fun, exciting, entertaining. Learning to be with reality when it is fun, exciting, and entertaining and not being knocked off center by either position. Not being knocked off center by a beautiful sunny day. How wonderful. Not being knocked off center by rain and cold. Cold and rain. The first day of session, we read Faith in Mind. The perfect way is not difficult when you're not caught up in preferences. The perfect way is not difficult when you're paying attention and not passing judgment. When you're aware And when there are preferences, noticing that there are preferences. Of course there are preferences. You're a human being. How can you not have preferences? It's ridiculous. Everybody has preferences. I mean, I went out in the sun and I was like, ah, man, this is glorious. Of course it's glorious. Wonderful. But not getting caught up in it. Recognizing that it's all mind. It's all mu. Glorious. Not so glorious. But it's just reality. It's just there. Falling asleep. Just reality. No reason to think there's something wrong. There's nothing wrong. You're tired. Of course you're falling asleep. It's okay. It's not okay if you're 
suddenly upset with yourself because you're falling asleep and torturing yourself, that's exactly being caught up in preferences. I shouldn't be falling asleep. I'm a Zen student. Where's that Zen spirit I heard so much about? Zen is reality training. Training in this is here, now, right now. That's what suchness is. Suchness, tathata, The, one of the titles of the Buddha is the Tathagata, Tathagata, one who embodies suchness. Just real. We've all met people who just are absolutely genuine and you can recognize it sometimes not even they don't even have to speak you can just feel it someone who is so perfectly there and perfectly themselves and it's a wonderful thing. I won't embarrass anybody here by mentioning names, but we have some people here who are exactly like that. And it's just, it's, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. And that is the embodiment of this very mind is the Buddha. This very mind is the Buddha. No errors. So Muman's comment. If you directly grasp Bazo's meaning, you wear the Buddha's clothes, eat the Buddha's food, speak the Buddha's words, do the Buddha's deeds. That is, you are the Buddha himself. If you directly grasp Bazo's meaning, that is to say, if you embody this very mind. Not looking somewhere else. Not chasing, not running away. Just being the person that you are. And of course, there's always room for improvement. You're perfect as you are, but there's always room for improvement. That's why we purify our hearts and minds. If you are who you are, if your mind is right here, right now, with, even with all of the negative thoughts, just recognizing them and not scolding yourself for them. Even with the lapses of attention, just recognizing them, not scolding yourself for them. the lapses of judgment. 
that also is suchness. Those lapses of judgment are built in. Just like everything else, the result of conditions. No reason to take it personally. When we start saying, I screwed up, there's a a subject there that doesn't really need to be there. It's more like, that wasn't done properly. The I part of it, though. Where was your mind? It was there. But suchness is recognizing the truth of each moment. doesn't mean you can't resolve to do a better job. But the scolding, that's not really necessary. So you are the Buddha himself. However, alas, Daibai misled not a few people into taking the mark on the balance for the weight itself. How could he realize that even mentioning the word Buddha should make us rinse out our mouths for three days? If a man of understanding hears anyone say, this very mind is Buddha, he'll cover his ears and rush away. Why would that be? Speaking about this, speaking about this matter, speaking about suchness, speaking about the mind, talking about it just covers it with a kind of confusion. As Nansen said to Joshu, knowing is delusion, not knowing is confusion. Using the word Buddha just creates so much confusion, creates all kinds of delusions. Unless you really mean Buddha in the simplest sense. Someone who's aware. Someone who's awake. Even when you're sleeping, being being aware that you're sleeping. enjoying that awareness. Well, Muman's verse, the blue sky and bright day No more searching around. What is the Buddha, you ask? With loot in your pocket, you declare yourself innocent. What's the Buddha? 
No more searching around. No more searching around is the Buddha. No more searching around is this very mind. No need to look. Just need to be awake. Even when you're sleeping. This has been a Zen Study Society podcast. If you found it to be of interest, please consider making a donation by visiting zenstudies.org slash donate. Thank you for listening.